Well, hello and welcome to Off the IR. I am your host for today, Dr. Aubrey Green. It is great to be behind the mic again. It has been exactly two weeks to the day since I had my surgery. I want to update you guys on that today. It's been a crazy two weeks. And it's also been a crazy two weeks in the world as we've had the election, or at least the election south of the border. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. It was a win for humanity. We've had surging coronavirus cases throughout the world. And we've had continued tough times for a lot of people with some glimmers of hope. As far as the election's concerned, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about politics, but I will talk about it from a humanitarian perspective, just not today. Tomorrow, I have a podcast planned. I'm taping one. I am looking forward to it. It is with a special co-host that I'm excited to introduce you to, and I hope becomes a regular contributor on this show. I believe she will bring balance and experience that will enhance this listen and allow me to continue to execute on what my intentions are, which is educating, motivating, inspiring you with real talk in this world we live in and talk about it in such a way where whenever possible, I bring sports into the landscape of these conversations where it intersects with life, culture, society, and also talk about sports, health, and wellness in the way of helping you out and enriching your lives and hopefully allowing you to get a little bit closer to a healthier, sustainable lifestyle. That's tomorrow. My surgery I'll get to after, but I can tell you this, it's been a heavy couple weeks of reflection and it got me thinking of many things. It has allowed me to appreciate this podcast even more for what it has been and what it actually will be moving forward. But when I started it, I knew I had to be upfront. I had to be real. I had to be willing to be raw. I had to be willing to show my vulnerabilities. And I had to be willing to open up to you guys, which has been and likely will continue to be difficult. But I wanted to continue today as an add-on to my sweet Brenda as a addition to that series or chapters, if I can call it that, because I know you find that impactful and I recognize how it can help in a multitude of ways. And looking back after my surgery over the last few weeks, looking back at 2020, like 2020 has just been a disaster across the board and just didn't start out that way in my mind. I can recall September, 2019, I walk away from a lengthy career. I step away. My job and the work that I had was completed and I had to focus on my own health. I had watched athletes for 15 years retire, many of them not on their terms. And I was prepared to step away and I was willing to give myself the benefit of the doubt and not expect massive changes and production and finding what's next right away. I was going to focus on my health, take a deep breath and enjoy family time. And that's something I'd encourage you to do when life throws you curveballs and it yields that opportunity. But when 2020 was on the horizon, I was adamant that that was going to be, this was going to be the year where I accomplished many things that I was striving to do. And the 20 and the 20 just seemed powerful. 
And I can recall early in January coming back from a family, awesome family vacation and eyeballing January 14th, the anniversary of Brenda's passing, which I've spoken to of the real pain that it brings me each and every year. And although I had so much clarity by the time the calendar struck 2020, January 12th, I started to feel anxious, confused, not knowing how I was going to compartmentalize the road ahead and what I had in front of me. And it just seemed like a lot. And January 13th, I went down into my office and I sat at my desk with my hands on my head with an overwhelming sense of anxiousness about what was going to be next and how I was going to deal with the 14th and a lot of disorganization in my mind. And sitting at the desk, I had this familiar sense of warmth come over me when I knew Brenda was there. And in a rapid fire kind of way, all of the things that were mixed up in my mind got compartmentalized. You were going to do this about this, this about this, this about this, this about this. And it brought with it a wave of comfort and confidence that I was like, okay, I got this tomorrow. And I said, you know, thank you, Brenda. Once again, you've delivered and you've allowed me to be me and figure it out with your help. And one of the things that I figured out in my mind was how I was going to approach social media, which has been a struggle for me for a long time. And it is something I'm going to talk about on today's podcast. So I got out of that moment with a sense of comfort. And the first thing I did was open up YouTube on my phone because I wanted to check out if I had a page. I knew I had a YouTube page. And I just wanted to see what was there. I open up youtube.com instantaneously opens up the song playing and the lyrics written on the screen to memories by Maroon five. I think I will play that at the end of this podcast, but it was powerfully, powerfully jarring and comforting to me, but also brought with it a flood wave of tears. And that was the part of the magic that is Brenda to me. And I got through the 14th with pain, but also with comfort and love from many people around me, including my wife, Julie, and my two beautiful kids. But it was a hard day, a painful day, tears shed. There's a routine I do. But I woke up on the 15th and I was organized, in my mind, and I started executing. And I was at a serious clip doing stuff I hadn't done before. Obviously, much of this was outside of my comfort zone and not in the career I knew. But things were happening and it felt great. And then January 26th, I got a phone call that jarred me in off my tracks. I got a call that one of my best buddies, dearest friends, longtime friends, more like a brother than a friend, his mother suddenly passed away or suddenly to me and got me thinking. I was shocked. I was also profoundly affected because let me tell you about that relationship. My friend Dan is a doctor. I've known him since I was 16 and I'm 15, 16. He's two years younger than me. And we've had a long, deep, meaningful friendship, lots of milestones in each other's life, some tough times too. And when Brenda was sick, he was a go-to for me as a doctor 
And he was one of the only people I saw when we were living at the hospital. He would come visit. I'm not sure if he was working at the hospital there, but he would come visit and he brought me comfort. And him and his wife-to-be, Amanda, also lived in close proximity to the hospital. And I would go there every couple of days to their place for a quick shower, a shave, and a hug and some love, and then I'd head back to the hospital. So our relationship ran deep. On top of that, his mother's name is also Brenda Green. Dan's last name is Green. We have different parents. We have long uh, confused people that we were brothers when we're not. But I think you can appreciate how that name and hearing that name and her, how it would be even more jarring and impactful to me. And sad for him and everybody who knew her. She was like an unbelievable bright light and caring woman. And my relationship with her was also real. When I was looking back over the last few weeks, it brought me to thinking of Dan and his wife, Amanda's wedding and his mom, Brenda and my Brenda. And I can remember after Brenda passed away, it was like five or six months when they got married after that. And Daniel asked me to be his groomsman. And he so graciously and appropriately and lovingly said to me unequivocally, bro, you don't have to do this. I understand. I just want you to know who you are in my life. But both Amanda and I don't expect you to be there. And that came from a place of love. And although I had by that point been just simply going to work and then going home and, and relationships were falling off and my communication to the outside world was being constricted off. I felt the need to be there. Dan was a brother of mine. That's family. You show up for family. I believed in marriage and I loved marriage and I knew how important it was in my life and how important of a milestone it was in theirs. And I thought I could be there. I didn't think it was going to be easy. And I can remember walking into his mother-in-law's house because they had the ceremony there. Beautiful home. The first person I see when I walk in and I lock eyes with is George St. Kitts, who happens to be the band leader of the band that carries his name that also did Brenda and my wedding. And we look, we, we catch eyes and he tears up. And we embrace and I absolutely lose it. I am just bawling uncontrollably. And that's the thing about emotions. You know, people want to tell people, oh, you know, toughen up or don't cry or hold it together. You tell yourself that. But when it's real and raw, you can't control that. It is what it is. And the truth is, is like sometimes you don't need to control it. Yes, I wish I controlled it that day. And yes, Brenda wishes I controlled it that day because she didn't need to see me suffering like that, but she understood it. And I can remember walking down the aisle of his wedding, marching down the aisle, and I was in full tears running down my face. And you could tell they were sad tears. And I could see people, I try not to look, but I could see people looking at me with sadness, those who knew me, and other people kind of looking at me with a sense of, I guess, some surprise. And boy, I wish I made a different decision that day. And I remember walking out of the house, sunny day, 
after the ceremony, I reached into my pocket. I pulled out a picture of Brenda and I because I carried it around with me. And I walked around the block slowly with tears running down my face, a sense of being lost and broken and shattered and with no hope of what was next. And I also remember walking into the house and one of the first people I saw, because I said, I'm going to go back for a half hour and then I'm going to go home. And it was Brenda, it was Brenda Green, Dan's mom. And she gave me a loving hug as she always did. And I'm grateful that four months before she passed away, I was able to see her randomly after not seeing her in a while and have another warm embrace. And the impact of so many things in my life, but I can tell you that shortly thereafter that wedding, I was reduced to ashes, a shell of myself, regardless of appearance and whatever wisdom and perseverance was left within me was Brenda's. As much as I can talk to you about all the negative things that happened to me with negative consequences, I can also talk to you about the negative things that happened to me that had positive consequences. And losing my ego ultimately had positive consequences over time. In the initial stages, it was brutal. Walking into every room when you don't have an ego and you feel like the smallest little ant there, and you feel like people are looking at you and you just feel just so destroyed. When you look in your eyes and you see nothing, it's not something you want to show off. And, but not having an ego also meant that whatever room I walked into, professional athletes, famous people, nobody people, whatever the metrics would have been before, I was smaller than all of them. So I didn't think I was better than anybody. And I also didn't judge because of it regardless of what people think, regardless of whether or not I had some judgment over the years and to this date, for the most part, I didn't judge. I didn't know what someone was going through. I actually got to a point in my life when I was driving cars, if someone cut me off or whatever, I only honked my horn when it was protecting myself from danger. Previously, I would have honked my horn being like, you know, just cussing off to someone with minimal road rage and disappointment with how they drove and the rules that they were driving by. But I stopped judging. I didn't know what that other driver was going through that day. I stopped honking. Remember the same day someone gets married, someone gets divorced, someone's born, someone dies, someone gets hired, someone gets fired. It's all relative. So you don't know what someone's going through and you stop judging. And what an unbelievable asset it is to not judge. Yet society makes it so easy. People in everyday life fall prey to judgment. Someone does something, they see something, and instantaneously they have thoughts about it, and they judge. And guess what? More often than not, when you're judging, it doesn't come with positive energy. It's actually somewhat negative energy that you're emitting and you're putting out there. And I know that in my professional life and my personal life, not judging and not being there for self-fulfilling reasons, being there for someone else, doing it for someone else's benefit, focusing on what they get out of it, that made me a great practitioner as far as bedside manners concern and ability to dive through and also communicate with people of all ages, of all shapes and sizes and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And recognizing that we all put on our pants the same way 
I was never starstruck. It really was. What kind of energy are you admitting? And I had a great sense of that. I've had a strong sense of reading people and judging character. And I think it's a gift that Brenda gave me, maybe as a result of a multitude of factors. And those who are emitting positive energy, I'm drawn to those. Those who are admitting negative energy, I'm somewhat frightened by. And that's a hard thing to deal with. Because remember, I built a career in professional sports where egos are large. The pursuit of oneself is massive. The disregard for others is as big as it can be. And when you have no ego and you're a small little ant, you can get trampled on <laughs> and kicked around. And it was a tough grind. And we'll get to that. But let's focus on the positives here. And I can tell you that not having an ego doesn't mean you're not confident. There's a difference between confidence and arrogance, confidence and egoic intentions. And being confident, some of the greatest athletes I ever worked with, some of the most successful people I know and we all know, actually don't have an ego. They're not in the pursuit of oneself and putting themselves on a higher pedestal. For the most part, a lot of those great individuals don't want that, but they're confident. They're confident in their ability to succeed. They're confident in the purity of their intentions, and they're confident in their pursuit to persevere and make it through. And I can tell you that going into any treatment room or meeting with any patient at any point, knowing that I was there from them helped me. Not looking at it from my eyes, from an egoic perspective, little judgment, you're learning. You know, if you check your ego at the door and you don't think you know when you're better, you're a lot more likely to learn and see it for what it is. And some of the greatest practitioners I've worked with and brought on board who made me better at what I did, they didn't have great egos. They were there for the athlete or the individual. They had confidence and ability to execute. Very important. That helped me and it helps me when I'm reflecting right now on my career. One more thing that happened around that point in time, I also didn't enter the world of social media naturally. I'm not sure anybody does, but some people are born into it. Some people slowly migrate into it. As for me, 2004, when Brenda passed away, by the time Facebook was launched in September of 2004, I was already off the grid. I knew nothing of Facebook. I really knew nothing of Facebook until I was in a relationship with Julie and had aspirations of building a brand. And my first peek at Facebook is Julie, who has 5,000 followers and 3,500 people on a wait list. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, I didn't get how people were friends with people they didn't know. I didn't get why people were putting pictures of what they ate for lunch and dinner. I didn't get why people I knew who were going through a tough time were posting pictures to the contrary and being dropped into the twilight zone. You see it for a lot of the narcissistic, egoic, negative things that it produces and its impact on people's lives. I don't need to go through that. I can simply tell you to Google the effects of social media on mental health and you will find too much that talks about the pitfalls and 
my reluctance to even embrace it now is because I'm uncomfortable with so much of its fundamentals. I know that it's leading too many people down the wrong path. I understand that it makes people want a pair of shoes that are $250. And if you're making $15 an hour, you shouldn't be buying shoes that are $250. But the world is telling you to do that. I understand that it'll creates an environment and a metric system where people can be judging their own self-worth by other people's validations and likes. That's a tough place to be. That's a tough place to be. I don't want my kids to be there. I don't want you to be there. And I do believe that these challenging times have allowed everybody to potentially stop and take a different look at your own life. What are you pursuing? Are you pursuing your own accidents and things that you have deeply wanted to pursue and need for your own self-worth and for your own expression of love for others? Or are you buying into somebody else's metric system? Are you running a race that someone else put in your mind? And breaking down to the basics, as I encourage you to do so, and take note of the world we live in, I definitely think checking your ego at conversations will bring you value. I think losing judgment will bring you value. And you need to remind yourself that because we've been trained to judge. I think trying to find a healthier way to let social media be in your life will help you. I also think doing things for other people's best interest and to impact other people's lives will help you. Karmically, you know, the pursuit of your own for your own self-interest, I get it, it has a place, but I'm not sure it consistently yields the best outcome. Doing for others comes back to you in so many ways. So 2020 has been a just a year of continual heartache for way too many people, and it's not over yet. And I know why I became what I became, but my surgery didn't exactly yield the outcome that I thought. And given the fact that I need to be open and upfront, I want to let you know how I'm feeling and then we'll go off and wrap a bow on this podcast and tell you about what's next. So I had the surgery and to put it in perspective for you, I am an expert in my field. I understand musculoskeletal injuries I understand the nature of this stuff. And I built a career where I don't guess and I find out the answers to all the questions that need to be asked. And I know to look who to look to for them. And because of the process and the systems and the personnel and the experience and the ability to execute and understand, I very rarely got blindsided in my career. I typically found out what I expected to find out and had a solution in place. Did my athletes get blindsided? Yes, but they were coming at it from a different lens. So I have the surgery two weeks ago today on a Tuesday with the surgeon, Dr. John Randall at South Lake Hospital. And John, ironically, or maybe it's not ironic, it's just another gift from above, happens to be the only practitioner or surgeon or orthopedic specialist that I deal with locally. All the other guys, the knees, the ankles, the hips, the shoulders, uh, sorry, not the shoulders, the neck, the back, 
the wrist, the ankle, whatever. I've had to find experts in so many different fields. And part of my job to execute in delivering on what I knew I was going to deliver on was finding the right people. So John was the surgeon that I had picked many, many, many years ago. And I had referred multiple athletes to because I knew he could deliver superior results. And I showed up to the hospital on a Tuesday and it was, I was actually in a pretty decent spot knowing that I was in good hands and optimistic about doing what was necessary after the surgery because your rehab, I'll say it often, is just as important, if not more important to the outcome than the surgery itself. But the surgery tells you what happened and what's going on. And I went to the hospital and it was a positive experience for me. All the attendants and the nurses, they treat me with a lot of love and respect because my brother's a, a doctor at that hospital. He's a surgeon and I've spoken to him before, but he's so well-respected for the unique qualities that he carries. And I appreciate that. And it also makes me smile when people rave about my bro. Two days following the surgery, Julie took me back to the hospital for my follow-up. And I don't want to go too deep into this, but I need to tell you what happened. Sitting in the office, Jerome, my brother, actually joins me. Julie's there and a few other staff. And Dr. Randall tells me disappointingly, he did repair my posterior labrum, which is what I knew I was there for. But he unsuspectedly discovered that there's a lot more wear and tear and damage to my joint, limiting my range of motion and making it very difficult for me to be able to practice again. That was the first ton of bricks that got smacked in my face. And then no disrespect to the way he told me. And then he also told me that I would likely need a shoulder replacement in the future. And if you're sitting there thinking, what's a shoulder replacement? I got to tell you, I don't know a lot about it. Ironically, I had never dealt with anybody besides one patient who was an older, older gentleman who got one. And this guy lived his life 150 miles per hour, manual labor, complete disregard for his own health. I couldn't even believe what I heard. I think my brother knew I was in shock. I took it in stride and I won't let that limit me. You got to do your due diligence and find out what you find out. And thankfully I have the mind for it and I have a road in front of me, but that is not what I expected to hear. And I went home and I want to tell you, you know, a wise person once told me from a summer camp I went to when I was younger, one of the smartest men I know, his name was Barry Lowe's. And he's another person who passed away in this devastating year of 2020. He used to say, don't shoot from the hip. And don't shoot from the hip is like back in the old Western days, they would just walk 10 feet, turn around and just shoot from their holster. And if you shoot like that, you're obviously going to be hitting things you don't want to hit and create damage. And that's the same thing with emotion. When you have emotionally and you're emotionally charged, you don't need to do it then. And I spoke in this microphone last week, but I wanted to wait till I was more ready to do it. And I took a few days to be sad about what I heard, but, and I was, I was shocked. I was sad. There was some anger. Remember, I also am the expert who keeps people in the game and solves these problems. And I'm all about sustainable, optimized health and wellness and performance. So it was a lot for me to hear, but I gave myself two, three days. And then as of Monday, I said, I'd be fine. I said that it would be done. And that's because I have way too many blessings for me to be 
caught up with something that in the grand scheme of things isn't as devastating as what's going on around us and not thinking it from my perspective solely and what I may have lost or not be doing on my terms yet to be determined, recognize all the blessings in my life and understand that there are so much worse. And that perspective that I talked about previously and all the other things that I've spoken about put me in a place where I recognize that it's not always on your terms. And guess what? That's 2020 in a nutshell, not on your terms. I know that I can only control the things I control. A lot of things are out of your control, especially during these times. Focusing on the things you can impact, focusing on the ways you can positively impact things around you. That's what I'm doing. And I'm doing so understanding that the road ahead is difficult for me and for all of us. It will be a difficult, dark winter, fall and winter. I'm encouraged as all of you to hear news that there's positive stuff occurring on the scientific vaccine front. But I also recognize that that's not helping us in November, December, and January. Cases are soaring. We need to just buckle down, be grateful for what we have, reach out to people around you more than ever. And I'm grateful for you and this platform because it's given me somewhere where I now can turn my attention to as I do my rehab. And as I close one chapter for at least a period of time, I can focus on another one that brings me passion and fulfillment and allows me to continue doing what I've done for many years. And that's trying to positively impact other people's lives. I hope you do the same. And I'm excited for tomorrow's pod so we can have a real conversation to hear a different voice. And I'm excited for the conversations that lie ahead and all that comes from that. I will leave you with two things. One being, if you're someone on Instagram, feel free to follow me, Dr. G 2.0. That's DRG 2.0, the number 2.0. And I'm going to leave you with that Maroon 5 song, Memories, that came onto my phone from a higher power and impacted me greatly. Listen to the words during these difficult times, and I hope this brings you comfort. And as always, peace and love. Thanks for listening. Here's to the ones that we got. Cheers to the wish you were here, but you're not. Cause the drinks bring back all the memories of everything we've been through. Toast to the ones here today. Toast to the ones that we lost on the way Cause the drinks bring back all the memories And the memories bring back, memories bring back your There's a time that I remember When I did not know no pain When I believed in forever And everything would stay the same Now my heart feel like December When somebody say your day Cause I can't reach out to call you But I know I will one day Everybody hurts sometimes, everybody hurts someday yeah, yeah. But everything gon' be alright, gonna raise a glass and say yeah. Here's to the ones that we got Cheers to the wish you were here but you're not Cause the dreams bring back all the memories of everything we've been through Toast to the ones here today 
toast to the ones that we lost on the way Cause the drinks bring back all the memories And the memories bring back, memories bring back your Memories bring back, memories bring back your There's a time that I remember When I never felt so lost And I felt all of the hatred too powerful to stop And oh, yeah. my heart feel like an ember And it's lighting up the dark I'll carry these torches for ya And you know I'll never drop Yeah Everybody hurts sometimes Everybody hurts someday yeah, yeah. But everything gon' be alright Gonna raise a glass and say hey. Here's to the ones that we got to the wish you were here but you're not Cause the drinks bring back all the memories Of everything we've been through Toast to the ones here today Toast to the ones that we lost on the way Cause the drinks bring back all the memories And the memories bring back, memories bring back your do 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 